Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Doing something a little bit different on Today in Ohio for this episode. It's a conversation between me, Chris Quinn, and Laura Johnston, my colleague at Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. This is the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. And I would like to say we're doing this in honor of Laura's birthday today. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank but it's you. not. Lisa Garvin is still having some technical issues, and we didn't have a lot of politics to talk about with Seth, so we're going to try this different form of a conversation. If you like it, if you hate it, send me an email at cquinn at cleveland.com. You ready to start, Laura? Yes. I, and I do hope you have a happy birthday. Thank you. I'm wearing my birthday hat. <laughs> yes, she... And I'm, I'm not kidding, guys. I'm really wearing a birthday hat. It's like she... a thing. She really is. She wears hats for all the holidays, the little dealy bopper antenna kind of things usually. Okay. Sam Rendazzo comes across as a brash, confident, and in hindsight, kind of sleazy in a bunch of documents revealing his thought process. In the weeks after House Bill 6, State House corruption scandal broke into public consciousness. Laura, what, what was he up to in those weeks? What, is the, the, what do the emails show he was putting his attention into after it was widely known that there was a big bribery scandal here, but long before the FBI raided his house and we learned that he was paid bribes by First Energy? Yeah, basically, he was doing whatever he could to salvage HB6 and make sure that he was pulling his weight for the company that was paying him millions of dollars. And because we know that First Energy has admitted to bribing him and these emails show that he was basically trying to keep the the bailout intact for First Energy. And there's not a lot of covering up his own tracks. I, I don't know if he foresaw him ending up getting charged way down the line. And we still don't know that that's going to happen. But I don't see a lot of that. It's basically him emailing people and trying to protect First Energy. So our Statehouse team read through thousands of pages of emails. This ranged from the spring of 2010. This was when the Ohio General Assembly was debating the legislation up to November 16th, 2020, when Randazzo's house was raided. And apparently there's still a bunch more emails to come. But basically, Randazzo was trying to stop the state legislature from fully repealing House Bill 6. And he only grudgingly called for limited action, like asking First Energy to investigate itself over whether it misspent any customer money because they were getting pounded in the press. Remember, he was still at the head of the PUCO, which is supposed to be protecting consumers in Ohio. What 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 I got out of this reading it was like it's a guy that's running a Ponzi scheme in the final days when it's about to collapse, doing everything he can to keep it going. You know, the Ponzi scheme, what what happens is new investors are the ones who pay off the original investors and eventually it gets so big that you can't get enough investment to pay people off and then in, the charges come. And he seems like he's scrambling to keep 
this con alive. You mm-hmm. know, first, not let's not do a real audit. Let's hold off doing an audit. You know, let let's attack the the media for pointing out all the ways HB six is bad and point right. out the good points of HB six. And let's face it, there were no good points of HB six. This was a disaster in every way possible. We all know that now. But they were going to put together public relations to do that, and, and I, it just seems like he's trying to hold on to it as it's crumbling around him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he was trying to put like pro HB6 Q&As on the PUCO website, like so that if consumers had questions and they'd come to the consumer site, they'd get a bunch of baloney about why HB6 is a good idea. I mean, he was writing to Mike DeWine's policy director, urging a substantive fix to manage the political chaos and policy degradation. And that was just eight days after the scandal broke. He wasn't saying, hey, let's stick up for taxpayers. He was like, well, let's just, you know, paper over it and make this go away. He had the gall to testify before an Ohio Senate committee offering technical criticisms about the legislation to repeal HB6 and suggesting his own revisions. I mean, what do you think those would be? Basically, let's not let's not punish First Energy. Let's not take away everything they paid me for. Well, and his priority was to reward First Energy. And, and look, it, you know, we're numb to it now because we've been talking about it and talking about it. But this is the person that is in the role of the top role of regulating Ohio utilities on behalf of the citizens of Ohio. He works for us. He doesn't work for the utilities. And yet everything he's doing is as a toady to the utilities. That should never happen. And, you know, Mike DeWine had a chance to try to put a consumer oriented person on the PUCO last week and he went with another industry insider. He reappointed the industry insider. This this commission still doesn't work for us and I keep saying it. There is one candidate running for governor who is promising to obliterate the current state of the Public Utilities Commission and start over with one yeah. that represents us. Uh, like, let's point out that Mike DeWine appointed Brandazzo and then basically resisted calls to remove him for a long time. I mean, he stood up there. Wasn't it the FBI raided his house and then DeWine stood up on his one of his wine with DeWines and said he was a stand up guy. He saw no reason. Yeah. To, yeah. I mean, during the raid. Right. right. <laughs> it's like... I mean, we. <laughs> and so behind the scenes, he was pushing DeWine's people not to do anything about HB6. Okay, I can I can just see John Cranley sitting somewhere saying, "Wait, you're not going to say my name? I'm the candidate. Say my name." <laughs> John Cranley's the candidate that would obliterate the PUCO. Fascinating stuff. It's a it's it's not a dramatic story, but it's one of those stories that as you read, you get huge insight into how things were going. The next load of emails we're supposed to get, I guess, is post raid of his house i can't wait to see what you know he's like what are you emailing like oh i mean if they're emailing this kind of stuff what were the phone conversations like right because (laughs) these are not like it you know this is telling it's not just like an email that says we need to talk yeah it's anyway check out the story it's a good one on cleveland.com you're listening to today in ohio so, Laura, you're officially a member of Generation X, right? <laughs> yes, and you're, apparently. And you're looking on the generation that followed you, the millennials, with the same bemusement that the baby murders had for you. Every generation has that kind of bemusement with the one that follows. But now, courtesy of the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, we know there are actual quantifiable differences, and you wrote about them. What are some of the highlights of what you saw? Okay, I'm first going to take issue with the bemusement. I don't really feel like I'm bemused by millennials. I don't actually feel like I'm a member of either generation. 
of Gen X or millennial. Oh, no, you definitely are Gen X. I, oh. <laughs> I'm the baby boomer looking with amusement on Gen X. You're Gen X. So you okay. can protest okay. all you want. Because like then there's, I'll get into this, and I didn't really talk about this in the piece, but because things change so fast, there's this like xennial, like exennial mid, you know, between the two, where it's like, you don't want to be a, a Gen X and you don't want to be a millennial. But I do admit that at one point I was joking with our office colleagues that I was going to write millennial, the musical about some of their stereotypical <laughs> quirks. But um, people love to, to differentiate between generations. And you found this study in the first place. And you what you liked about it was that the baby boom was not in it. Like this was we're not comparing time, ourselves to them which we we need to be done we the baby boomers <laughs> have had the the, the day is way too long i'm at the very tail end of it so i barely count but it, it's time to stop talking about the boomers let's talk about the quirks of you and those that follow. right exactly so the u.s bureau of labor statistics compared data of 23 to 38 year olds from 2003 and then they surveyed the same age group 23 to 38 in 2019 the idea is that in 2019 millennials were the same ages as gen Xers were 16 years earlier. And obviously, Gen X is apparently six, 1965 to 1980. They got their name from this coming-of-age novel by a Canadian called Generation X Tales for the Accelerated Culture. And the millennials are 1981 to 1996. They're the first generation to come of age in the new millennium. The thing is, they spend about the same amount of time working every day, which I would like to point out is less than eight hours for both groups. It's about 7.7. They spend about the same time doing leisure activities, and that's about four and a half hours for each group. The thing is what they choose to do with their time differs a little bit. Like millennials spend more time playing games, which makes sense. Video games have definitely grown in popularity. They actually spend more time on food and beverage prep, which might surprise some. I, Layla Tassi said, I thought millennials were too lazy to, to make cereal because they don't want to clear the bowl. But I do think Ooh. that the foodie, she found a story in the Washington Post and sent that to me. But um, the foodie culture has really come of age. Like, I don't think there were such foodies in 2003. But um, millennials are less likely to be married, less likely to have kids. Uh, millennials are spending less time making purchases um, than Gen X did, which makes sense. People were not buying stuff online in 2003. Um, so yeah, and actually more millennials are likely to be living in a metropolitan area. That's 87% versus 83% for Gen X. And they're less likely to own a home, which we've talked about that a lot. Houses are getting more expensive. People have student debt. So it's harder to buy your first house. Did you mention the sleep? Uh, they do sleep more. So yeah. I guess you can count that as a leisure time activity that yeah. millennials sleep more. Uh, they spend less time doing housework, too, which I think that's pretty stereotypical for millennials. Well, especially when you have like vacuum day in your house. I, so. I have vacuum day three days a week because <laughs> I have a golden retriever. But um, yes, there, the thing is, there are way more millennials in the U.S. than there are Gen X. The reason the millennials are like they were called the Echo one time because they're like the echo of the baby boom. They're the baby boom kids. And Gen X was kind of this like lost generation in between those two big ones. But I, I mean, I do take issue with the fact that we're just arbitrarily deciding because my sister, who's 16 months younger than me, we grew up basically as twins, is considered a millennial and I'm Gen X. And then my kids who are two years apart and, you know, live in the same house, have the same bedtime. One is Gen Z and one is Generation Alpha, which are lame names anyway. But so, I mean... Let's take this with a grain of salt. Yeah, I oh, look, both of my kids are millennials. And what I have found in that generation is 
a more balanced view of life, which I think is good. It's the evolution. The baby boomers were all nuts, dedicated to their jobs, defining themselves by their jobs. And the, the later generations do that less, and that's probably the much healthier outlook. Good stuff. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Well, Layla's not here, so I guess you're going to have to talk about Cedar Point. What do you think <laughs> of the announcement this week that they're going to go back to paying people $15 an hour after going to $20 an hour last year during the big shortage? You think they're going to find 6,500 people willing to take the pay cut? No, I really don't. I'm not based on what I'm seeing and the shortages we're all still witnessing. And I can't believe they don't see the same labor forces at play this summer. I'm not the only one. Susan Glazer talked to, uh, yeah, she wrote the story. She talked to an expert about this who said he really doesn't see all these issues ending either. I mean, $15 is not bad. That's more than the lift operators are getting paid at Boston Mills. I'm going to put that out there. But it, <laughs> but it looks bad compared to what they made last year. And what's interesting is returning park employees are still going to get paid $20 an hour. So if you ha worked there last year and you're working next to a newbie, like I don't think that that would be a very good feeling being like, I'm running the exact same ride as you and you're getting paid $5 more an hour than me. I would, I'm a little bit surprised that is that, that there was a lot of, they got a lot of pats on the back for doing this, mm -hmm. that they, they are responding to the feeling that they paid too little money. There are a lot of people in these kinds of jobs that are just getting by, and this was viewed as an enlightened approach. Let's pay them right. They'll be happier people. They'll do a better job. But the minute they think they can get away with it, they take the money away. I think you're right. I think it's going to create bitterness and anger and, and a, almost like a caste I system. don't think it's going to stay. Like, And I, I said this when I saw the story yesterday, and there's an expert who agrees with me here, that they are, this is a trial balloon. They're putting it out there. They're going to see how much response they get. And I think they're going to raise the wages. And then when they do, they'll be able to say, oh, we listen to the people. You know, like, I don't think this is the be all end all. It's only February. The park doesn't open till May. They've got lots of time to course correct. Oh, and it's a lot of people, 6,500. They also are in the middle of a bid by SeaWorld to buy them. Well, that ended. That's done. Oh, oh I didn't realize that. Oh, they rejected it. Oh, yeah, we had a okay. story up late last night. Susan Glauser, like, jumped on it when the Newswire came oh, over. So, yeah, they are out of that, and that will be gone. Uh, the one good piece of news for their hiring is that uh, they – They'll be able to hire this from the J-1 visa program that the State Department runs their summer work travel. It's been kind of down for the last two years because of COVID, and they usually hire more than a thousand workers from overseas. So they should be able to get those those workers this year. Okay. Well, Susan Glaser apparently has two stories about Cedar yes, Point on Cleveland. She's a rock star. Check them both out. You're listening to Today in Ohio. So the mayor of Hudson, who we've had a great deal of fun with over his <laughs> statements, resigned abruptly this week after bringing the international ridicule to his Tony town by claiming ice fishing leads to prostitution. And he did that in a public meeting. Do you buy the explanation he offered on his way out the door for why he said what he said? I am highly suspicious of this explanation that it was a joke. I mean, I watched the video, and if there was a joke, it was the most deadpan delivery I have ever heard. And then there was no, like, ha-ha, just kidding, guys, no, like, snort of laughter. Uh, no one responded as if it were a joke. But after, with the res resignation, the mayor did say it was a joke. And, I mean, that's, I guess, 
that's better than saying he's a joke because he was an international laughing stock on this. I mean, there were memes of cookies, memes and cookies and ice shanty margaritas at restaurants. And somebody put a sign by the pond in question with like prostitution with a line through it, like a, you know, a no, no smoking sign. So, I mean, if I were him, that's the way I guess I would play it off. But um, he says, quote, my attempt to inject a bit of dry humor to make a point about this in the midst of a cold, snowy February was grossly misunderstood. However, he also said in the same statement, his his claims were made out of concern for our community. What could become of unintended consequences based on prior television news reporting, which I guess he was a TV reporter at one time and. And went with the fiction that ice shanties lead to prostitution. Yeah. I, the, yeah look, maybe it was the, an I-team investigating yeah, story. Right. His problem is that there's a video clip, and nobody mm. who watches that video clip sees dry humor, including the guy sitting next to him at the table whose eyes get really wide. Like, did he just say what I think he just said? Yeah, so. and it's like total silence. Like, everybody's very uncomfortable. And I think the mayor even said something about data. Like, it was not like... A, Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like this is ridiculous over the top. No. No, I agree. Okay, you're listening to Today in Ohio. So you and I and most of Ohio spent a lot of time with Mike DeWine in the first year of the (laughs) pandemic in Wine with DeWine. He was a daily presence in our lives and then a three times weekly presence and it, it dwindled. But even though he's in his fourth year as governor, he's only had one state of the state address because he halted them during covid so now he's scheduled one. Is there any mystery, do you think, about his motivation for doing so? I mean, no, I don't think it's a mystery, but I don't think it has to be nefarious either. I mean, this is a tradition. I don't know how long the tradition go back. It's probably like a century. But remember when Kasich took these around the state and like made a big deal of like going to every corner of Ohio for his folksy state of the state? Like this is much more the traditional speech he wants to talk about um I assume COVID over the last few years and then talk about all of his greatest hits. I mean, it's going to be, obviously it's part of his campaign. You know, look how great I've done as governor. I'm sure he'll talk about the Intel plant and he'll have this very optimistic tone about how Ohio is on the rise. Yeah. I mean, he may be the governor that's done the fewest of these since they started, because I I don't know that there've been other times where they just skipped a couple years um, and it's generally the chance you get to talk about your accomplishments and without anybody standing in front of you firing mean-spirited questions. And, and, <laughs> no, and, yeah, you don't, have to, you don't right. have to argue with reporters or listen. To, yeah, you don't have to take their questions. But he is running for re-election. The primary is in three months. And so this is one way of getting attention for free without spending campaign money uh, on what you have done. I do think... We will see his opponents issuing statements Mm -hmm. afterwards on both the Republican and Democratic side taking issue with things he said. He does have, as we've talked about on this podcast, especially in that year-end episode we did, a lot of vulnerabilities. I mean, there have been a lot of things that have gone wrong, not least of which is his first energy which is a longtime supporter of his. Well, and so he's not going to talk about redistricting probably either, which is just as damning for his administration. His office said, quote, Governor DeWine is going to speak about the strength of the state, the joint work of his administration, and the General Assembly to help all Ohioans reach their full potential and his vision for the future. So it does not sound like 
he's going to be playing bits from that podcast where we talk about every time he messed up. No, but that's the danger. If you do this speech, your, your opponents are going to come flying out of the woodwork to say he made no mention of HB6, the biggest corruption scandal in the state that involved one of his big supporters. He made no mention of his violating of the Constitution repeatedly uh, in the gerrymandering and redistricting. He made no mention of the failure at the beginning of the vaccinations for the coronavirus to help people find appointments. The, the system they set up is a disaster. I mean, th this, th all this does is allow people to put a spotlight on all the stuff he's not talking about that wasn't good news for him. So I think this will be a different version of the state of the state because he'll say his very happy news stuff and then the others will come out and say but what about but what Couldn't about you say though that that you could do that anytime i mean is it just more loaded because this is the first one in three years i mean yeah. in any regular year you're gonna get get criticized for the things you don't talk about yeah but with the election three months away or the primary at least i think it it just puts it in a different kind of light it'll be interesting to see what happens we'll uh, we'll be paying attention and we surely will be talking about it you're listening to Today in Ohio. So, Laura, you remember one of Northeast Ohio's worst ideas for a development, the City View Shopping Center built on top of an unstable landfill way back in the day in Garfield Heights. It's back in the news. So what do you think of putting more public money into this project that is best known for filling the Walmart that opened there with gas so noxious the store had to close? Yeah, it, it does seem like a problem. And we have been talking about this since before. Before I moved back to Cleveland in 2007 and so the first thing I just like Google myself and try to find the story that I wrote in 2009 because we've been it's had some severe issues since then and now I, I honestly I didn't know this place was now a business park like that it's trying to retool itself with the fancy name of Highland Park I didn't know the giant eagle there was still functioning but their new owner, Industrial Commercial Properties, wants $10 million from the $350 million pot of Ohio brownfield assessment and remediation money. They want to cap 20 acres of adjacent landfill, so assuming this part isn't even part of the park, make it suitable for development and repair this old methane gas extraction system that has been damaged over time, which, I, as you pointed out with the Walmart, I don't think has ever ever worked correctly and they have this bold claim from their ceo he says once that's done any issues related to operating over a landfill will be eliminated and i think that's just laughable <laughs> well i look i remember this like it was yesterday even though it was a long time ago i mean no sooner was it built than the parking lot was heaving and the roads were cracking because it's a landfill it's hilarious they call it highland park they all you know they should call it high garbage park it's like that's what it is it's a mountain of trash that they built this on and it was i mean it, it just was it made big news because of all the things that went wrong it oh, yeah. seems like there's some brownfields in the city of cleveland that would be much more worthy for this money than trying to come back and 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 pete lists i think there's like 40 different projects that are up for this money and and he lists a lot of them in the same story it's just this is the one that captures your imagination because we've all driven past it on 480 we all remember the history i mean the epa had found by 2009 there were potentially explosive levels of methane beneath the parking lot if you dropped a lighted cigarette through a manhole the gas would ignite um there was a paving machine that had lit a small methane fire there was polluted water flowing into storm drains and you know that will get all over the place that's not 
going to stay on the the property. And the e- it was really, really messy for years and years with the EPA saying, if you had done this right, we wouldn't have these problems. And the developer and the city, which was desperately wanted this tax um, money because Garfield Heights doesn't have any industry or business, you know, blaming the EPA for not regulating it or not, not telling them the right thing to do because this, had, I mean, it was an experiment. They'd never built a shopping center on a, on a garbage pile before. And the funny thing is they are still saying, oh, it'll work if we extend Transportation Boulevard all the way down to Rockside Road and Valley View and connect these all. And it, literally, they've been trying to do that for 20 years. Uh, you know, and I'm sure they'll say, hey, look, yes, it was problematic, but it's working now. But I, I just I question it at all. It seems like there, th- there's a bigger return for the money elsewhere uh, for the brownfield. Nobody creates brownfield programs to build on top of landfills. The, the definition of that is to go and clean up contaminated prime land so that you can redevelop it. That's what it's for. It's so it's, this seems like a, a, a use that doesn't really qualify and there are probably some it, more deserving projects. I mean, it is a shame, though, because think of the location of this right off 480, right near where 77 intersects. Like it is it's a prime spot in the county. It's practically the middle of the county. Right. Like it's too bad that there was ever a garbage dump there because. Yeah. I and mean, it's too bad there's an airport on half the lakefront. Okay, it's too bad it's there's true. an interstate that divides the city. <laughs> We've had all sorts of dumb decisions in this county over the years. Now we want to put a jail in Slavic Village, although I think that'll stop. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Everyone's, excuse me, <clears throat> everyone seems aware that Greater Cleveland has a workforce problem. Even before the pandemic, we had lots of jobs with no candidates to fill them. The city and county have long worked together on a workforce development board, but results seem scant. There's now this new plan to change it. Is it for real or is it for show? I am not going to be able to definitively say if this is going to work or not. But I do like that the partnership between the city and the county seems to be, you know, bold and thoughtful. There's not a lot of details yet, but the county is hiring a deputy director of workforce development. This person will also serve as the chief financial officer of the Cuyahoga County Workforce Development Board and be a liaison between the county, the city, and the board. Also work about work with the Ohio Means Jobs Program, and that includes directing financing and w- working with the director of economic development. So that's the county side. And then the city is actually hiring an executive director of that same board who will serve as the chief executive officer for Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act activities. So, I mean, there's a lot of jargon in here but i do like that this board is going to have both city and county oversight and hopefully they're going to be really working they're going to be new ideas and new people trying to figure out how to get people to move here for jobs and to nourish the talent that we have already living here yeah i mean there's a desperate need for it and we talk about it all the time but it doesn't seem like there's been much progress maybe with a new leader at city hall and eventually a new leader in the county it'll move forward. It's today in Ohio. So brick and mortar stores have had a hard time competing with online sales, as we all know, and that was made a lot worse by the pandemic. You're a shopper. What do you think (laughs) of the announcement Tuesday that Kohl's will add standalone Sephora shops inside their stores? Do you think that will bring people to Kohl's? Is that something that will will help preserve them in their presence in Northeast Ohio? I think that's a really interesting question if that's going to preserve Kohl's because I would think the normal Sephora shopper is not a Kohl's shopper. Like Sephora has been in the mall for a really long time. It's high end. You know, it's just like 
very kind of bold graphic black and white design where you go in and you get to try on a lot of makeup. And that's one thing this has got going for it, right? Like you can't, I mean, I've never tried to order makeup online. I'm not a huge like makeup person, but you don't want to buy something if you don't know how it feels. You don't know if the color works on your skin. You really need to try it out before you buy it. And so you have to go into the store. So this will get foot traffic into Kohl's. Obviously, there's going to be a marketing issue and letting people know that they're there and getting a younger group of shoppers, maybe higher end, to come into Kohl's. That said, I mean, Kohl's has survived. Well, you know, Sears shut down. JCPenney's had issues. Macy's has all sorts of problems. And you see I mean, I don't know their bottom line, but they seem to be doing fairly well and they've been fairly innovative. Um, they're now ca- carrying Land's End at Kohl's stores. I don't know that they're online, but you, you can definitely go into the store for that. And also you can return your Amazon packages to Kohl's. And I can't tell you how many times over the holidays I, you know, bought something on Amazon and then returned it at Kohl's and they give you like a $5 coupon that you can spend in the store. And then you're like, okay, so maybe I'll look around. I I feel like this is an interesting step for the store and I can, I can see where it could work. And it's going to be a bunch of them in Northeast Ohio. The list was pretty long. It's like yeah. almost every Coles around here is going to get it. You're, it's interesting what you say about the marketing. I wonder if they're going to put signs on the buildings so those that aren't reading Cleveland.com, the handful of people that don't come to our site each day. <laughs> and are not listening to this podcast. And don't listen to this podcast, which we're hearing more and more. People use this as their news source. Uh, that that So they know if they put the sign up. So it's Coles and Sephora. Yeah, it's an interesting tactic. I think tactic. they did because the, the Avon uh, JCPenney had this, had a Sephora in it. And I think there was a sign on the outside. I mean, that would make a lot of sense. And then you're going to be competing like Ulta is a standalone makeup store too and if you're looking at like in Fairview Park the one near me there's it's the same shopping center so you'll be able to go to an Ulta and a Sephora at Kohl's so I mean maybe that'll get people like just hopping from shop to shop for makeup I don't know people I've also I've I've thought the makeup issue during the pandemic is really interesting because people don't leave their houses as much and (laughs) you're on zoom and you're wearing a mask so lipstick is disgusting under a mask but I mean, maybe we're all, once this is over, we'll all be like totally made up and super, super glam because we're like, we've missed it so much. We'll see. Check out the list of stores on Cleveland.com and Sean McDonald's story. It's today in Ohio. You know, you mentioned masks, Laura. I, I meant to bring this up earlier. At the, the school where my wife teaches, they've dropped the mask mandate for students. And yeah. there's been this magical moment for the teachers where they're seeing the kids' full faces for the first time of the year. So the smiles and the expressions, and they're just all blown away because they've just been looking at the mask in the eyes. So there's, and I imagine this is happening in schools throughout the region, this magical connection the teachers are making with Well, students. I hope it's not happening with my kids because I'm telling them to keep wearing their masks. <laughs> I mean, I'll feel a little bit better when it gets warm out, but... Um, I mean, I still think kids should be wearing masks at school. And yes, I want to see people's faces, but I don't know. We've dropped the mask mandate on January 24th, and I've been surprised that we haven't seen a huge skyrocketing of cases. So, I mean, that's good news. Yeah, I think it's flamed out. I think we're done with this uh, variant. You you heard it here. uh, You did. I said (laughs) mid-February, man. I was right on the money. You really did. And, you know, by next fall, let's hope it's a much weaker thing and that, that, you know, if you get it, it's not that big a deal. 
Okay, well, again, happy birthday, and thank you for taking the time to have the conversation. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. Hopefully we'll be back with the full staff of this podcast tomorrow.